We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to DFS Free Game Show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter. And it's Monday, so you know what we do on Mondays. It's Mondays with McCool, James McCool, the co-author with me on the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Going over the, the the last last regular season slate of the NFL season week eighteen, and uh, as always, uh, give me those thummy thumbs in the YouTube chat. I see you guys in there. Suka, Suki Singh, Shane Newman, Frederick Duke, Daniel Hutchins, Kevin McCarthy, Matt Mears. Give me those thummy thumbs on your way in the door. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. So, James, last uh, last slate of the NFL season uh was it wasn't as like typically week 18 we get like half this team is sitting half that team is sitting we get some 3k wide receivers out of the blue that we're trying to guess on whether or not they're going to be the wide receiver one Mm -hmm. i don't think it was that that dramatic this this past this past sunday i think i think the only i think the only team that that consensus was that don't expect the whole game or anything was the Packers. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, when you were doing your projections, I mean, were, were you were you taking into account that maybe the maybe the maybe Mike Evans doesn't play the second half? Maybe 
you know, those things like that. I mean, we didn't know the information with uh, James Conner mm-hmm. and Robbie Anderson heading into the, uh, the, the, the late games. Uh, everything seemed to work out, work out fine. Yeah. It wasn't much yet. It wasn't like no surprise in actives at, uh, you know, before the, the late set of games, because we had seven early, six late. Uh, from, a, from around the industry, did were you projecting anything that dramatically different than, than anyone else? I don't think so. I actually, so Saturday slates always mess me up um, because I usually want to build my projections for Sunday on Saturday. I usually start Saturday morning, wait until all the news is in from all the week and all the practice and everything like that. Build out projections Saturday, have them done around five, um, five my time, so I can stream and all that stuff. Saturday obviously messed that up. I, I can do that because we had a slate Saturday. So I was building out projections Sunday morning, and every single year I choose not to play the last week of NFL every year because I hate it. Because I just look at it usually as like news aggregation central. It's just preseason glorified. There's some starters, there's some not. Teams don't have to play, yada, yada, yada. But as I was kind of going through projections and as I was trying to build up baselines and everything like that, I'm looking through the news. I'm like, okay, this team doesn't have anything to play for, but they suck anyway. They don't have starters to rest. Or this team is already missing all their starters, so it doesn't matter. I can just project whoever they have left. And as I was going through it, I'm like, this slate isn't that crazy. This slate doesn't have that many things to take advantage of. And not that many things to be super wary of. But like you said, the only thing that really mattered in terms of knowing that they were going to rest their starters was the Packers. And that's because they came out and said, um, you know, these guys are not going to play a full game. They came out and said they and they made Aaron Jones inactive. And then they said A.J. Dillon is not going to play the second half. So that was very easy. That made it so it's like, okay, we know that that Patrick Taylor is probably a decent value. If he's going to get all the second half work against a Lions team that sucks, then that was the main value that I think we got going into this that made sense. Him and Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, and Keyshawn Vaughn was not even all that cheap. He was 5,300. So I thought this, this was a, a, a playable week. I went into it not wanting to play. And then as I built out projections and saw that, there were a couple teams that I like to stack anyway that are going to be in competitive games. You know, I, I usually want to stack the Rams anyway. So they were in that game with San Francisco, but San Francisco wanted to win as well. Um, Tampa Bay was out there with incentives for Rob Gronkowski and, and Mike Evans with his thousand yard season. Like there are a lot of things that just the only team that we would want to stack that came out and was like, no, we're not going to have our charge for the full game with Packers. And so it, it made it for, a pretty normal week, all things considered. Right, but we could see the discrepancy between the ownership, between the higher stake stuff and the lower stake stuff. Like, I mean, I t- we typically don't see this many different discrepancies on a given week, which showed how much edge there was in the lower stakes, large field stuff. Right. Like, uh, if we go and compare, like, the Browns defense. Like, I'm just going one by one. I'm not saying that a defense, you know, that, that – they, they were underpriced for the fact that the Bengals were resting everyone. Sure. Right. Because they were priced as if, you know, Burrow and Mixon and Higgins and all those guys were playing. So Brown's defense was 35% in the Wildcat, 24% in the Millie, 20% in the play action. They were still the highest owned defense in the contest, but not as dramatically as in the Wildcat. Then we take a look at uh, even Cooper Cup 
26% in the Wildcat, 18% in the Miller. I was really surprised. We, Justin Jefferson was humongous difference. 22% in the Wildcat, six, uh, 13% in the Millie, 11% of the play action. Then we see someone like Patrick Taylor, which I would have expected this to happen. 16% in the Wildcat, 7% in the Millie, 5% in the play action. James Conner, 16% in the Wildcat, 10% in the Millie. Keyshawn Vaughn, 16% in the Wildcat, 9% in the Millie, 8% in the play action. Allen Robinson has a cheap punt wide receiver, 14% in the Wildcat, 7% in the Millie. We go through, so DJ Moore, 12% in the Wildcat, 6% in the Millie. Marvin Jones, 12% in the Wildcat, 7% in the Millie. Cole Komet. 13% in the Wildcat, 7% in the Millie. Like Dalvin Cook, even. I, and I played Dalvin Cook in two lineups. 11% of the Wildcat, 5% in the Millie. Deontay Harris for the Saints, 11% of the Wildcat, 6% in the Millie. We could go through. I mean, typically we don't see this many discrepancies. How mm-hmm. many, right? And then we have like the opposite way Samaji P. Ryan, who didn't even play, 6% in the Wildcat. 10% in the Millie. Because of all Mixon's out, you got to play P. Ryan. It's like, no, P. Ryan was just like an emergency active. Yeah. Uh, but you could go through a lot of these. And like, if you were playing the lower stakes contests, look at, a- look at A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon was 4% in the Wildcat, but 12% in the Millie, 14% in the play action. Because it's like, oh, Aaron Jones isn't active. Oh, A.J. Dillon's just going to get everything. Yeah. Not realizing that AJ Dillon is is as much almost as much of a starter as Aaron Jones is, and they're not going to risk him getting injured for more than half a game. Van Jefferson, I'm taking a look through some of these. Debo was more owned in the low stakes. I don't know. Once you get down to the bottom, you know, you don't see that much that much difference. You're not going to see anything that stands out that much. Alan Lazard was 7% in the play action. But he, of course, he got there in one half. So, right. Yeah. That, 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 what does it matter when you can score two touchdowns? <laughs> Going through a bunch of this stuff over here. But I mean, had, I think that the, the, big, the big decision you had to make in your lineups was what were you going to do with Cooper Cup and what were you going to do with Jonathan Taylor? Yeah. I think mean, that, that, because that, obviously Cooper Cup 9,700. Jonathan Taylor, 9,300. In order to play those guys, you had, you had to, your construction would have to be different, right? Whether or not you play both of them, whether or not you play one of them, or you play neither of them. I choose, I played eight GPP lineups and I played cash games on both slates, both sites, you know, early afternoon, everything like that. Uh, I, I, and none of my, I played zero Jonathan Taylor across the board. It was hard to play him. It was hard to play. No, it was easy to play him. It just, it's, I was hard to me. No, no, no. What, what I mean by that, and I talked about it yesterday before the slate, because somebody, when I put out my cash core in the Discord, um, I put Cooper Cup over Jonathan Taylor. And somebody asked, like, why, why would you want to go with Cooper Cup instead of Jonathan Taylor? Like, Jonathan Taylor's in this bobble law. And it was because you could build much better and more competitive lineups with an expensive wide receiver rather than an expensive running back there weren't that many cheap wide receivers that you could really pick to make a competitive lineup. 
there were a couple very cheap or at least relatively cheap running backs that you could use to make a competitive roster. So what it came down to when you were making that choice between those two, and I didn't think you could build a competitive roster whatsoever with Jonathan Taylor and Cooper Cup. I didn't think that was possible on the slate. People did. The people did it. I people did it in cash. They I they got they got. I I don't think they did well. No, I don't think they did well either because it just if you you were dropping such a massive amount from your median by putting those two together, there wasn't enough value on the slate. On a, on a regular last regular slate last regular season slate in NFL. Sure. There's usually tons of value. You can do stuff like that. This was not a jam them in slate. This was not both Cooper cup and Jonathan Taylor. And it really wasn't a Jonathan Taylor slate overall, just because like there were not enough cheap wide receivers to make it work. And so the, the question really was a roster construction question. It wasn't, you know, Jonathan Taylor is his rushing prop is 120 yards. That's fine. But like, you can't build the same, you can't build lineups with as high of medians or ceilings with Jonathan Taylor as you could with Cooper Cup. Uh, the main issue for me is that the the positional scarcity at wide receiver was worth paying up for. Yeah. So like, like, like I mean, I'm, I'm repeating kind of what you said, that there's no cheap value at wide receiver. And there was enough, like between, okay, you eliminate Jonathan Taylor. You have David Montgomery at 6,800. James Conner, 6,300. Deonta Foreman, 5,700. Devin Singletary, 6,000. Sony Michelle, 6,000. Antonio Gibson, 5,800. Patrick Taylor at 4,000. Keyshawn Vaughn at 5,300. Like, I'll take three of these guys. Like, running back, I, especially in cash games, running back is more about opportunity than, like, matchup or anything. So, like, how many touches? You, I want to jam in as many touches as possible. And obviously, goal line touches are worth a little bit more, and 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 targets are worth a little bit more. Now we saw in the past, like four games, Jonathan Taylor has had a total of like four targets. So it's not like they're not even passing him much anymore. So at ninety three hundred, he's Derrick Henry, yes. right? He's essentially that type of player. And David Montgomery, twenty to twenty five touches. James Conner, depending if he plays, 20 to 25 touches. Four, Deonta Foreman, Devin Singletary with no Matt Breida when they're only running two running backs. Antonio Gibson, I mean, it, it, even if they split, maybe they get 15 to 17 touches. Then you have Patrick Taylor, and you that's a punt play. Keyshawn Vaughn, 15 touches or something for a good offense. I mean, I felt like jamming those in. I played, I actually... Paid up twice at wide receiver in cash, mm-hmm. and I played Cup and Jefferson. That makes sense because the wider said I looked at the, through the wide receiver pool, and I'm like, who the hell am I playing? I mean, you had like Christian Kirk, DJ Moore in that range, Brandon Cooks, you know, Darnell Mooney. I wasn't that comfortable with, so it's like you know, I I took my aggregate, so I'm looking right here. This is what I currently had, so my aggregate spit out. Taysom Hill, Patrick Taylor, Foreman, Robinson, Jefferson, Cup, Komet, Connor, Browns. Sure. Okay. Now, ha- if I knew that James Connor was like, like for sure gonna go and for sure to be like seventy five percent plus to the carry work, I would have played this lineup. But I didn't. I didn't know that. So, like, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. With all these running backs available, I'm not prioritizing James Connor. So I'm Xing him out, and then I'm running it again. I run it again, 
And I get this lineup, Huntley, Taylor, Foreman, Robinson, Jefferson, Cup, Komet, Montgomery, Browns. Okay. Now, what I don't like about this lineup, uh, I don't mind this lineup. Uh, I'm not a big fan of playing three Bears, right? Uh, The Bears aren't a good team. Uh, And I'm using my flex in the as a one o'clock game. The only late game in this set is Cooper Cup. And what's why I'm going to go Cup to Samuel? I mean, like, Cup to me is the best play on the slate. So if I'm behind, I'm basically taking Cup and moving him to Debo, or, and that's it. And hopefully I can make up the points. So it's like, who added, who added these do I, do I not need? It's like, do I really need Cole Komet at tight end? Like, what's the difference that much between Cole Komet and any and a punt tight end? Right. To me, not dramatically different. I don't. I I think Montgomery, his workload is worth playing. So I I, I could prioritize Montgomery. Mm-hmm. I think as a cheap wide receiver, Allen Robinson was the best out of the bunch projected. So I didn't mind. I, I didn't mind Allen Robinson, Grayson, or Marvin Jones Jr. Like one of those three, I was going to be playing in this spot. And then I was like, so how do I not, how do I not utilize a flex early? It's like, well, do I play Deonta Foreman or why don't I play Devin Singletary who's in a later game? Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, so if I play Singletary over Foreman and I run this, right? Okay, I get Kyler Murray up here. It's like I'm not going I'm not paying up for quarterback. I'm either playing Huntley or Hill. So I'm going through here, and look, this lineup doesn't have Cup in it. So it's like, nope, well, I'm playing Cup. So I know that. So then I'm going through, running again. So I get Hill, Taylor, Singletary, Robinson, Kirk, Jefferson, Komet, Cup in the flex. So it's like, no, but I want to play Montgomery. Okay, so I I plug in Montgomery. Run this again, right? Hill, Singletary, Montgomery, Robinson, Kirk, Cup, Komet, Ertz, double tight end. I don't think Ertz was necessary. I don't think Kirk was necessary. So it's like, okay, maybe I, I, I'll I play the cheap punt Patrick Taylor also. And now let's see what it comes up with. Right? Hill, Taylor, Montgomery, Harris, Jefferson, Cup, Komet, Singletary, Browns. It's like, well, I don't want to play Deontay Harris. I'd rather play, I'd rather play uh, Allen Robinson in that spot. So if I do that and run it and I get the little and you bug over it. here, I broke it. Let it load. Right. I'm still getting Kyler Murray, Christian Kirk. Right. So basically commit like whatever I just, I just, I don't need to play commit. So I'm going to get rid of commit. I got the guys in. I got Gerald Everett here and AJ Brown. It's like, well, I don't need to play a $3,700 tight end. Like, who can I play? Well, here's Ertz and more. It's like, ah, I'd, l- I'd love to get Jefferson in. So let's see if I could get Jefferson. Right. So then I got this, this. Okay. And here you go Hill, Croft, Brown. So I'm playing the Browns. Do I play Croft or do I play Hill or do I play? Someone like uh, John Bates. I play John Bates, right? And then I plug in and there's Huntley. So that's my cash lineup. Huntley, Taylor, Montgomery, Robinson, Jefferson, Cup, Bates, 
Singletary Browns. Quite a now, I didn't mind Deonta Foreman, just that now I have Singletary and Cup flex and wide receiver. So in the case that I'm, in the case that Patrick Taylor does, in the case that jo- jo- Justin Jefferson ends up with only five points like he did at the end of the first half, I could sit there and go, okay, now I'm going to move Cup and single. Now I have tons of options, right? I could change Singletary to Kirk and block if I want, but it turns out Singletary was actually higher owned. So I, I have a lot more options now with a lineup that's very similar. 143.81. Okay, so if I get rid of all of this, that lineup was 143.81. Mm-hmm. I bring back who is left. That's not Connor. I'm actually giving up two and a half points of projection. Mm-hmm. But that's primarily because of Cole Komet. And do I care that much about a tight end? No. I don't know what you had Komet projected for, but he was projected fairly high. Let's see, I had Komet for 7.4. Yeah, my aggregate had him at 9.7. Sure. Yeah. All right, so there, there you go. Yeah. What'd you have for Patrick Taylor? Patrick Taylor, I think I had for nine, but, but I had Patrick Taylor projected for nine and I did not rerun after the AJ Dillon news. Cause that came after out the, after the, after the Aaron Jones news. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I reran after the Aaron Jones news. I did not rerun after we heard that AJ Dillon would be sitting out the second half. Okay. But I did tell people like, yo, Patrick Taylor is a much better play if he's if this situation is going to happen this way. I played Patrick Taylor in my lineup. I thought he was a good play. Um, he probably would have been projected for eleven. Yeah, that's what I have. Yeah, probably eleven, somewhere around there. Right. And AJ Dillon four K, right for four K. Yeah. And AJ Dillon, I had for fourteen before the news. He probably would have dropped down to like eleven, right, or something. Yeah, I see your lineup. So you you played John Bates. You played a punt John Bates in your lineup. I did. And actually, I made a mistake playing John Bates. I didn't mind John Bates. I thought he was fine. Uh, I, it was up in the air. Um, I went John Bates, but I could have gone Brock Wright, which would have been a correlation with Patrick Taylor, which I should have done. Looking back on it, I, I made a mistake on that. I should have played. Okay. That's not a but, humongous uh, mistake. No, you played, a, you played a similar. You played a similar lineup to my double spy lineup. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I mean, it, it came together really easy. I, I thought you could ignore a lot of games. I re, I knew that I wanted to focus on that Rams game. Um, there there were a lot of things that you could do with with the Rams, and I wanted Cooper Cup, and I I wanted to have um, yeah, Keyshawn Vaughn. Otherwise, I would have stacked the Bucks. I I liked Gronkowski, but I thought Gronkowski and Mike Evans were the same play. Um, and well, I play. I played Brady stacks with both of them. Yeah, and, and I've been. I played. I played. I played a lineup that was uh, that was Brady, Gronk, uh, Evans, DJ Moore. Like that <laughs> to me. That that made sense. Of course, that lineup also had garbage in it, so that didn't do well. But yeah, but no, I, I get it. I I think uh, I think that there were only a couple ways that I really wanted to go about this slate. Um, a Ram stack, I could have gone with a Tampa Bay stack. I'd have been okay with that. And I had Seattle as the top projected stack on the slate. So I wouldn't have minded going there either, but with Seattle, not having anything to play for, I figured that I would go with that Ram stack 
especially because they had Jimmy Garoppolo back um, for San Francisco. So I figured that game would be more competitive than if it was Trey, Trey Lance. Um, it, it, just, it came together really easy. I, I wanted Keyshawn Vaughn. I thought that was a really good spot. Patrick Taylor let things fit, even though I didn't have him projected super well. I, I liked him in that situation. Um, OBJ f- was a failure at 6% owned, but it is what it is. And then um, John Bates, the only other thing I want to do is Brock Wright. But once you get down that far, it's like all of them project for like three to five fantasy points anyway. So who really cares what choice you make at that point? Right. Um, it, it was just a correlation thing. I, I, I should have gone Brock Wright if I followed my regular process, but I went with John Bates for whatever reason. Right. And I had a similar lineup, but instead of using Odell Beckham as the second piece, I used uh, Tyler Higby. Yeah. And I, and I wanted, I did consider doing that. And when I did that, it just made it like, I didn't know who I could use at the flex that would have made it work for me. Well, I, oh, the thing, the thing that I did is I didn't run it back with any 49er. Oh, I just, I played Stafford, Stafford, Cup, Higby. Then I played Keyshawn Vaughn. Across from Keyshawn Vaughn, I played DJ Moore on the other side of the game. I played Allen Robinson as, as a punt. Mm-hmm. And then I just filled in my lineup, like Allen Robinson, Devin Singletary, and Antonio Gibson in the Cardinals defense. I, I whiffed so hard on Antonio Gibson. Yeah, I don't know why. They're playing the Giants for crying out loud. I, I know, but I didn't think, you know, it comes back from injury. And uh, you know, Jarrett Patterson did fine last week. I thought it was going to be more of a split. It was not more of a split. It was absolutely not more of a split. And I, well, I think most people thought it would be more of a split, and that's why it was only 7% owned. And yeah. That's, I t- I, all I do is go, like, oh, well, so you played Antonio Gibson. So, I mean, you thought it was going to get 90% of the work? I said, no. I thought everyone else thought it was going to be 50-50. So he has the upside of getting 90% of the work. So I'll take that. If, if you would have said at 5,800, if, let's, let's say Washington came out and said, we're just going to run Antonio Gibson until he dies in this game. He would have been the mo- he would have been the highest owned running back on the entire slate at fifty eight hundred, right? Yeah. By by a long shot, for sure. By a long shot, right? So like, if that if that's the case, why don't I play him when everyone thinks it's going to be a 50-50? Yeah, that's why I, I said I whiffed on it. I, I because I should have thought the same way, and I I was just looking at it wrong. I, I think I had like I think I had week eighteen brain on that one. You know what I mean? Where you're like right. thinking it and galaxy braining it a little bit. I because I I whiffed on that really. Yeah, but I did the same thing with Sony Michelle, and that didn't work. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, Sony yeah. Michelle did get most of the work. It just twenty carries for thirty nine yards. How did come on? Really? We've seen that stat line from Sony Michelle before with the Patriots. So right, he's he's well within his his range of outcomes on on that. Right, and especially you playing Sony Michelle and David Montgomery in the same lineup. It's like, well, <laughs> thanks, thanks for the two yards of carry. <laughs> just plodding running backs in every single slot. Uh, I, I also I. Uh, I, I was a little bit low on Devin Singletary, too, I think. Um, I think he was over-owned. He came in much higher on than I thought he was. I think he was over-owned as well. Like he, he I think Foreman, both Foreman and Singletary were over-owned. Mm-hmm. He scored that second touchdown, and it dropped me quite a bit. Like, how owned is he? He was like 30% owned or something. Uh, in the Millie, he was 23. Foreman was 29. Yeah, I had. I mean, I have my little worksheet over here. I have Foreman and Singletary is the most over-owned. I had the most under-owned, Dalvin Cook. Yeah, I agree with that. Cook, I had Cook, Gibson, and uh, Michelle, and Connor, depending on if he was going to play as under-owned. And I had Montgomery, Foreman, Singletary, Vaughn, and and Patrick Taylor over. 
I think if you were for me, if you remove Jonathan Taylor, because Jonathan Taylor, I had as the highest love X on the slate, I think. Um, no, Taylor, I had his official uh, to Taylor. He came in at like 24% owned. And I think that, I think that was, I think that was, I don't think it was neither over owned or under owned. It just came into the matter of, would I rather play a 9,300 Taylor or a 9,700 Cooper cup? Right. And it's just like, I'd rather, I have under look between cook, Gibson, Connor, Michelle, and those guys, like, I'll, I'll just play the running back. I'll just play running backs instead of, instead of Taylor in that spot. And that's typically my go-to anyway in GPP. I typically don't play high price running backs right. in, in GPP. I play high price wide receivers more than that. So I just, so I'm not playing any to Jonathan Taylor. And, and thanks to Carson Wentz, he didn't really do very well. I had in terms of, of LevX on the slate. So measuring leverage in terms of projected ownership, I had Jonathan Taylor as the highest at, at 34%. Um, and then I had Tyler Croft because he was only projected 1% owned and I had him for a median of eight. And then I had Devontae Adams and then DK Metcalf and then Justin Jefferson. So that was my top. And then Cooper Cup. The, those are all the guys that were 20% plus leverage. Mm. So I, I think that's a pretty good list. Um, Devontae Adams at 2% owned, like there was no reason to think that he couldn't have gotten there in the first half either. Yeah, but you're not paying that price for, for no, a half. No, you're not. Absolutely not. But like the the algorithm that's built up, it's like, well, I mean, if, if he gets there, then he gets there. Uh, DK Metcalf at 6,900 um, at 5% owned for Seattle. That was a massive leverage spot. And then Justin Jefferson and Cooper Cup, like be, because of their medians, they were so high and the ownership was just not going to be high enough on how many games were on the slate. So the, those were the guys that I had positive leverage. Um, negative leverage, the two players that I had as the highest over-owned were Dante Foreman and, Ke- and Devin Singletary. Right. Yep. And then Question for you. AJ Brown and Brandon Cooks. Uh, oh, you had Cooks and AJ Brown overowned also? Mm-hmm. Yeah, same for me. Yep. Yep. Uh, why didn't we just, uh, here's a question. Why didn't we just preload all of our lineups with the Washington defense? 3,100. It, so, it became so obvious when I, I turned, when I, they flipped the red zone and their quarterback sneaking third and eight oh on like God. the seven yard line. And I'm like, like what, 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 what is going on? What, I mean, what, did you, did anyone, why didn't we think that the Giants were going to put up really any points? I mean, yeah, they did score a touchdown, right? I mean, they Slayton had a touchdown, but it's like, once I saw that, I'm like, I think I made a, I think I just should have just paid 3,100 for the Washington defense and all my lineups. Cause how would, how would they not get there? No, I agree with that. Yeah. That, that's, that's one of those hindsight things where you think about it again and you're like, Washington defense isn't even bad. And the Giants are hilariously bad. They did not even have a full 53-man roster. Well, last what well, last week they didn't even pass. I mean, like, like they were purposely we're running out this game and we really don't care. Well, okay, but that's that's kind of the reason against Washington defense, though, right? Because like if if the Giants are just not gonna pass, like the upside is is relatively limited. The the, the floor is very good and cash like Washington probably should have rivaled the Browns, but like if, if they're not going to pass, that's one of the main things I look for in a defense when I want to choose defense. Like, can I actually get turnovers and can I get fumbles, fumble rooskies? Well, yeah. I mean, butt fumbles and stuff like that, or, or a, a QB sneak on third and nine from like the one yard line or whatever. How is Joe judge making it through this process? I see on Twitter this morning that, that 
Flores got fired and Joe Judge still has a job. That, that This is bizarro world, man. It, that doesn't make any sense. Like the Dolphins have had kind of like their best two season streak since 2001 or something. Or, or the Dolphins. Did I say the Giants and Dolphins? The, the Dolphins are having a good like streak with Flores. The Giants have scored like six touchdowns in the last five years. And somehow Joe Judge is, is maintaining his job. And Brian Flores gets canned. I, that it doesn't make any sense. It's it's one of those things where people say all the time, "Oh, I could run an NFL franchise better than X, Y, or Z." I, I think that in this I think we can. Yeah, I think we could. I, I think, I think we, we could really, run an NFL franchise by Twitter polls. We probably could. Yeah, we could just use the law of numbers and and, and just like make the right decisions based on that. I th- I think our bubble is smart enough. How okay? Another another question. How much? I, I didn't care. Once I saw at, at eight eight or so that they were playing, I didn't bother. And then once once the towards the end of the fourth quarter, uh, how much were you were you rooting? Like I've never seen DFS Twitter unite over one thing than having the Raiders Chargers game tie at the end. Let let's be honest, they should have tied. From if- a game theory perspective, both teams should have just Hand high and shake and just yep, just run out the clock from a game theory perspective and from an EV perspective, and from like uh if if the goal is to go to the postseason, the easiest route to go into the postseason in that game, both teams just kneel it every single time, every single play. Game is over in an hour. That's you're gonna piss you're gonna piss the the Raiders fans off that are going to watch that game. Whatever, man. I like if if the goal if what we are saying is truly that the goal of every single team is to make the postseason and have a chance at the Super Bowl in the easiest way possible, avoid attrition, that if they just kneeled every single time, or better yet, it was a draft sheet had this idea on Twitter where they just run a play and they just stand there for 15 minutes. Right, right. So there's a, no one's ever down and the clock just runs for the entire Nothing. 15 they're, minutes. They're just chatting at the water cooler for 15 minutes. Four plays, the game is over in an hour. Nobody can get injured. Nobody can get lost to attrition. They can even, since we're in COVID times, they can just snap the ball and then just stand six feet apart and then just like stand there. And nobody, nobody's going to go on the COVID list. Nothing. The easiest, most successful way to the postseason for both teams. That is not collusion. It's not game integrity problems. It's just both teams saying we're in the postseason. Let's just stand here. And, and that, that should have just been what happened. Well, the thing at the end, I don't know what any, anyone was talking about with the timeout. The timeout, like the dude called timeout with like one second left on the play clock. Who cares? It didn't matter. But I mean, the Raiders when, once they once they got into field goal range, the I mean, there's no reason for the Raiders not to not to kick the field goal. I I think that it is that it. Could. Well, I mean, assuming assuming that you'd rather play Cincinnati than Kansas City, which you would. Which you right. would. And I get that. And like people who are saying like, oh, well, you know, they called the timeout and that broke the truth. It's like, no, dude, like the Raiders don't want to play Kansas City in the first week of the playoffs. Have you seen what Patrick Mahomes has done to the Raiders this year? The Raiders can't defend against Patrick Mahomes. He has 10 touchdowns against them this year. This year in the two games that he's played. He doesn't want to, they don't want to face the Chiefs. So, yeah, of course they'd rather face the Bengals. I get that. But man, it would have been the most hilarious outcome. The most hilarious, and and also on the other side of this, since we've been talking about sports books more, 
Apparently, well, that, no, that I, I was going to find it funny because of that. I don't care about Big Ben not making the playoffs, right? And he's done or whatever. It was more the fact that, that there are a ton of people that bet on Jags, Jags money line and, and, yeah, the Raiders Chargers tie parlay. It was, it was apparently- paid God knows how much, and and according to some some sports book, you know the sports betting reporters like that that was like a liability of over seven figures on some sports book. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, it was the most bet parlay of the entire day. And how awesome would it have been if not only the NFL takes a massive hit in viewership because nobody wants to watch two teams just stand there and talk about the weather. But also all the sports books just get railed by this parlay that doesn't make any sense and it's hilarious in every way. It would have been like if no, it was it was more hilarious, James, that they didn't decide to do that at the beginning of the game, and it's still almost almost ended almost ended in a in a in a in a tie that was also a score of gum. If you live life for the lulls, like (laughs) me. If you live life just to find the stupidest things and the funniest things possible, that would have been the Mecca. You couldn't like that. Nothing funnier would have happened. I was up at midnight. I I, I didn't even turn on the game <laughs> until like the, till the, the last drive by the Chargers. Yeah. Because I saw on Twitter, it's like it's 29-22. Chargers have the ball. It's like, oh, this may actually tie and go into overtime. Yeah. Let me... Let me turn this on. And they convert two fourth downs. They go, they march down the field converting fourth downs, and Mike Williams catches it. And then it's like, like, you know what Staley should be doing is going for two here. But <laughs> let's right. I don't want him to. Please just take the extra point. And then the beginning of the overtime, it's like, I just just please just just run run Jacobs into the line. Yeah. Right. I just just run. I, I just want to see a tie. And then it was a field goal. So it's like, okay, come down and get another field goal. And and whatever, and even even towards the end, it's like past the two minute warning. I was like, the Raiders are only on like the fifty yard line. It's like now it's third and third. It's like just don't don't make this first down, please. And then of course they, I don't know how the char- how could the Chargers give up ten yards on a third and three play over there? It's like if they just would have stopped them there, it was so close. If it they would have so stopped, if they if, if they would have stopped them there, that the Raiders would have just let the cl- clock expire. Yeah, because there's no reason – there would be no reason to not let that happen. Well, they would try to – they probably would attempt this the 60-whatever-yard field goal. Right. But, but like, I mean, the likelihood point, of that hitting is probably even, small. Even if you want to talk about the game integrity thing, even if you want to talk about the collusion thing, if they attempt a 60-yard field goal and miss on accident, you can just, you can just miss that, and it's right. hilarious. And there's no argument to be made that they missed it on purpose. Cause like, it's a 60 plus yard field goal. You can't blame the guy for going wide left. Like it, no, it, I thought it would have been more hilarious if Carlson missed that last field goal as is the only time that he's missed a field goal in that stadium. Uh, that would have been better. Uh, there, there were so many funny outcomes that could have happened and the NFL just hates fun. They just hate yeah, yeah, they, that's right. The NFL does hate fun. God, that sucks. It, it would have been so good. Uh, but, but it wasn't on the main, it wasn't on the main slate. You know, you know, people probably did play showdown lineups that, you know, you play, you play the one of the defenses in the captain, the other defense in the flex, and then four guys that, and any four guys, as long as them, they're not the the starting quarterbacks. Right. Yeah. If they kneel the ball, they're going to get negative rushing yards. Yeah. There, there were, 
God, there were so many funny things that could have happened, especially in showdown, right? Like imagine, imagine if everybody, if the game actually was a tie, if we lived in a world where they could actually just handshake and just sit there for an hour and not score any points and a defense in the captain and a defense in the flex and then just backups, right? And then we have a thousand way tie for first with a score of 25. That's yeah, I mean, it, even if you made those lineups, like they're not really plus EV. I mean, you oh, absolutely not. no, because you're going to tie a million ways with it. Anyway. Right, right. No matter what your players are. It's like, well, I have these guys. It's like, well, I have these guys with a zero. Like it's all you have to need is essentially anyone other than the, the, the quarterbacks. Right. Right. Yep. So it doesn't matter if you spend all your money, you don't spend all your money, whatever. As long as you have a defense in the captain and a defense in the flex. There you go. You, you did, people did make those lines. Yeah. I, I mean, it was probably a good night to actually play showdown and I didn't, but like, it was probably good because there, there had to have been at least like what 5% of the field making these stupid lineups for people like the, for them just not to play the game. There was probably some good edge there. Over, overall, I found it very funny. I, I, it was so funny. The last game of the regular season. Okay. The last game of the regular season that 18 weeks of garbage, <laughs> right? Like eight, like we complain every week on the NFL as a product sucks. Yeah. These games are not entertaining. When you watch it on red zone, it's now you get to just see all the decent plays from all the games. But when you try to watch one game specifically, it's a nightmare. Yes, yeah, terrible. Right. We rarely get a good game on an island game. Rarely. Sometimes we, we, we sometimes we get, okay, that was not bad. This wasn't this wasn't horrible. And then then everyone complains about having good games on, as island games. And then we finally get one, the last game of the regular season, and everyone's rooting for a tie. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's rooting for them literally not to not to play, right? Can you please stop with this entertaining game and start kneeling the ball? The irony of it. It's just beautiful. So, uh, Jordan, did you did you take part in the uh, in the incentives game yesterday? Oh, and- oh no, I didn't care. I, I okay. the people overweight that stuff too much, so I just tend to ignore it. Right? I swept props with it. Oh, well, I'm you fine. did pro- I'm ta- Oh, I thought you meant for DFS. Props. Oh, no, 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 just just for props. So uh, yesterday for Wait, were the lines that off? Uh, well, okay, no. So, so what the books did? I I have to assume this is on purpose. Almost every single incentive was put together with like one yard under what the incentive was. So, like, so the prop, prop on receiving yards would would lead up to the incentive. Yes, was basically. that originally, or could you have gotten a better number earlier? I assume you could have gotten a better number earlier, earlier in the week before people were actually talking about the incentives, and it probably got fed up. But like it still it didn't get put correctly because like so many of these incentives, like Stefan Diggs was put at 6.5 receptions. Right. For, he for just needed bonus. six for his bonus. And he needed six for his bonus, right? Rob Gronkowski was at 6.5. He needed seven. Rob Gronkowski right. had 87 yards for, for an incentive. He was put at 75. Like it was right there for pretty much all of them. Um and I, I swept through, like, basically all the props. I, I hit almost every single incentive prop. The only one that I took the under on was the Rex Burkhead one. And that was because David Johnson was back. And, and I was fine with taking the under on his. But I think that there was a lot of, of equity to be had in betting props on the over on incentives, especially for guys like Rob Gronkowski, where, like, 
Brady's going to get his boy. Like Brady's going to get him that extra million dollars. Brady literally went back out. Arians tried to pull him. Brady was like, no, Gronk needs one more catch. Like, we're he would have done that for he would have done that for AB if AB wasn't he would, he would have done it yeah he it would have done it for AB too like Brady's gonna get his boy on that um, Diggs like they fed Diggs I, he had like nine receptions at halftime they they were going to get him his incentives uh, Justin Jeff look at Marvin Jones look at even with Trevor Lawrence like they have nothing yeah. the Jaguars have nothing to play for it's just like. Dude, let's get the old guy and let's yeah. get the old guy some money, right? Exactly. They they got him his incentives before the, the end of the first quarter. Like, right. I think there was a well, lot. Well, I mean, of if, he, if he got if he got fourteen receptions, he would have gotten a lot more money. But I don't think that they were. He wasn't going to get fourteen catches. I don't think Marvin Jones has the uh, the capacity in his old man body for fourteen catches at this point. Uh, it, but it, I think there was a lot of equity on that. Um, that it was easy to miss out on that. And I think in DFS, I absolutely agree. There's there's too much. Uh, focus on that but things like Justin Jefferson, Stefan Diggs, Rob Gronkowski um, that there was an overs incentive for a couple of quarterbacks where they were they were trying to get there you know Brady had like 317 and they could have kept throwing him um, that there were a lot of things and, and I think it was worth taking advantage of for the books last night for sure. As long as you got them early I mean I, I, I just I think before the game time I think they were probably efficient but I mean, if, if you go into week eight, whatever week 18 is next year, plan for that. Plan for yeah. like, plan for like once, once the props start coming out Sunday night before the previous, you know, the next week's games mm-hmm. or Monday morning or whatever, like just all you get the list of all the contract incentives and whatever, because I mean, I, but I, cause I saw early in the week that people were commenting that, that the lines were way off. Yeah, they were like, they, 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 they opened to. Like they opened with like Marvin Jones Jr. with like three and a half yep. receptions. And it's like, like dude, he needs four, four, four for like a half a million dollars. Like they're gonna get him four. So like I think it closed at like like five four and a half or five and a half. Four and right. a half. Right. But it's like that the value was right there to be had. But of course, those lines are gonna move very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. If you hit them early in the week, you got a lot more closing line value for sure. Like I think Stefan Diggs early in the week. He was, I think he opened at 5.5. He closed at 6.5, but he closed at 6.5, negative 140. Right. Like they probably opened at, at five and a half minus 110. 115. 115, yeah. right. And you just look and you go, what's the chances that they, they don't get dig six receptions for his incentive? Like, like just yeah. hammer that. You, you just take that shot for sure. Right. And there, there was a lot of incentive in that. And like, since this, this year, uh, I have decided that I want to be a profitable sports better. I've had a lot of fun with this over the first 10 days. It's really, really fun, especially in NBA right now. NBA with all of the COVID and everything like that. If you just stay signed into the drafting sportsbook, like I've got it up right now as we're doing the show. Somebody gets ruled out. Like if you have an idea of what the teams are and what their backups are and what their rotations are, somebody gets ruled out. You just go snap, take the over on a PRA and like instant CLB. Instant. You can do it all day. Just pay attention. So I've had a lot of fun with uh, with the sports betting thing. I've enjoyed it monumentally more than NBA DFS. And I will tell you that 100% confidence, even if I was losing my entire role every single day. In well, there's, uh, no late, there's no late swap in betting. Your bet's in. Nope, exactly. And even What's the worst if- thing that happens? Oh, that guy's back in. And oh, so I have, I, have a, I, have a bad, I have a bad negative EV bet. Yep. The other day, uh, it was Jimmy Butler. He was questionable. And I took the under on Duncan Robinson. 
for points because I because I had Jimmy Butler as questionable and leaning towards in. He gets ruled out later. It's like, okay, well, I guess I'll just go hedge my bet with Duncan Robinson over. And the worst that can happen is I lose three dollars. Right. Whatever. So that that kind of thing, I I have much enjoyed this. If you are on the fence of like, oh, I hate NBA DFS, but I still want to be able to sweat and be a degenerate, just go bet some props, dude. You'll have a lot more fun. I'm not in a state that I could bet props. That's tragic. I mean, I could I could drive across the river, but why why would I want to? I I'm not. I can't do that for every time that something happens like that. No, no, you can't. Take a 15-minute drive. No, because the line's already efficient. But right, of course. <laughs> you get there. Right. But it is a lot yeah, of I'm, I'm trying to find any way out of NBA DFS, but I'm going I'm, I'm to have to. Dude, League of Legends DFS came back last night. I, but no one wants to. I can't do the pregame show and talk about League of Legends. <laughs> People are going to go like, what the hell are you talking about? That's true. Yeah, I can't. I'm, gonna play NBA. I'm not going to play tonight, though. I'm going out yeah. tonight. But I mean, I'm going to have to. I mean, maybe maybe I don't play on Tuesdays and third, like the smaller slates and just like that. I mean, obviously, the larger slates are the uh, those are the chaos ones. I was going to say you should be playing the smaller slates because there's, yeah, there's not more... enough of an. I mean, just like I, I just four game NBA slates. They, they oh. start feeling more like showdown slates. I, I think there's more edge on four game slates. Why? Because there there is a lot of condensed ownership on expensive players on four game slates because everybody like if there's like uh if there's a four game slate where there is Giannis LeBron and Jokic it's like Jokic gets 35 percent ownership LeBron gets 20 percent and Giannis gets 10 and like the ceiling of those three guys is the same so being able to take the extra equity of take of just taking Giannis and just plugging in Giannis instead of Jokic instantly gets you 25% on the field, which I, I personally like a lot. Even if the projections don't side with it, I think the ceilings are still similar enough to where that single swap, especially in smaller field contests, right? Like if I'm playing the, the 250, the, the four max 250. Right, the putback dunk. Or yeah, that, that's like, what, 500 entries or something like that. So if I can get a 10% Giannis in that versus a 35% Jokic, I feel that I have already done well enough. I can just play the rest of it. It can just be chalk. So I like four game slates because there's that condensed ownership on studs. I don't think that I need to fade the the 3,500, like, I don't know, Jaden McDaniels or something, PJ Washington, whatever. I don't think I need to fade them. I just need to get different in terms of like the ceiling plays that I'm taking so that I can pass the field that way. So I like that stuff more. I, I like short game slates for NBA. I like the larger the slates, the better. The more decisions the field needs to make, the better. Yeah, I mean, I'm, but I'm more likely to play those the low stakes, large field stuff. Yeah, and that's the difference, I guess. Yeah, right. I, so I, it's like I, I, I want in if I want, I, I, I want the value plays to be under owned, and I could just jam them in, and then find a way, find a way to get leverage elsewhere, and just you know, just play. I may just play ten or ten to twenty lineups in the large field. Yeah, and, and that's it. And it may do that because I think I could handle ten to twenty late swap. 100, 150, I, no, I, I ain't, I, no, ain't, that, ain't, that ain't happening. Like doing, doing 10 lineups, I could, worst case scenario, I could do it manually. Yeah. Right. I could literally just go on my phone and go, this guy's out. I'm going to move. Okay. I got to jam this guy in and just switch it around by hand. But once you start getting into the 40s, 50, 60 lineups, 100, line, yeah, you can't, you did. And it, it just becomes it come, three minutes before this game locks and five minutes before that, the starting lineup comes out and what happened to this guy? Yep. Draymond Green gets the tip and then comes out of the game. 
right? They announced that at least, right? Yeah. Sportsbooks still have not paid out that bet, by the way. Oh, uh, well, isn't the rule that, like, Draymond Green was active. He played a minute. He did. So all of his yeah. unders should pay. Yeah, they should. And I still ha- it's still open. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send out an email here pretty soon because I had the under on Draymond Green. As soon as they were like, oh, well, he's starting. I just snap. I had my phone open. I had drafting sportsbook open. I just went and snap, took the under on his PRA. And it was, that should pay out. I don't know why it hasn't yet. So I need to send an email on that. Right. But it, if, if, he'd, if he'd played, Z, if it was a, a DNP, it, it would just be a voided bet. Right, right? that's a cancel. Yep. Right. But because he played, because he was active and played and started the game. He played one minute. He officially played one minute. Yep. That should be, that should, all of his unders should hit. And it doesn't make any right. sense that his unders would not hit on that. So. Well, because sports books, they're, they're going to try to get out of whatever they can, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. They'll try. But they they shouldn't. That's. Or what they'll do is that they'll call, they'll, they'll void that bet and hope that at as long as uh, as long as one person out of the whatever that bet it doesn't complain, they yep. make money. Exactly. Yeah, because right? it's a free roll. Right. It's like we'll just avoid avoid them all and wait for. And if we get 20 to 50 people that say, "Hey, based on your rules, you know, he played a minute," then they go, "Oh, okay, I'm sorry." Right. But yeah, is it like worth it? The, the point that I always make for that type of stuff is that it's, you can't take that much action on a prop bet like that. Is it worth it to even do it like that? I mean, like, just pay it out. Yeah. How much? How much of their liability is on that prop? Right, that individual prop, or even that, that individual, individual right on Draymond Green unders. How much right. of a liability is that? I can't imagine that it's that it's that significant. But right, just time, pay it out. At the same time, I mean, I understand that books are are in the are in the business of percentiles, so. I guess I get that side of it, but yeah, that that bet should if you had uh, if you had Draymond Green unders on on his PRA and uh, on anything, yeah, on anything. If you had on under, anything, I mean anything under on everything, unless you had the under on one second plate, in which case you lost that bet. But uh, there's is there there's no bet on that. No, there's no bet on that. No, <laughs> I'd be fine. Like there are bets on minutes played. I th- I think it would be cool if there were bets on minutes played. There there would be there would be some fun edge on that. But just like their over under of like 28 or 32 yeah. or something. Yeah. Like 28.5 minutes played or something like that. That's not that, that doesn't sound all that fun. Um, I think that it would be good in, uh, in, in predictable blot or unpredictable blot situations. Right. There'd be a lot of edge on that. You put them, you put those type of things in then SGPs and same game parlays. Yep. And same right. game parlays, by the way, are, I, I have now put together a way where I am, I'm looking at it the same way as DFS for, for prop betting because SGPs are just GPP plays. That's all right. it is. And so like my graph for, for my sports betting looks exactly like my graph for DFS where it's just like well, for, for, for SGPs you mean? Well, no, no overall. Right. So like right. over, over time I have like, Oh, Oh, breaking even here. Here's my prop bets. Here's my prop bets. Here's my prop bets. Oh, SGP hits. Oh, here's my prop bets. Here's my prop. Bet. And it looks the same way as, Okay, here's my cash games. Here's cash, 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 cash. Oh, GPP hit. Oh, cash, cash, cash. Same thing. Looks exactly the same right now, which is fun. Like, it, it's the same thing for me as DFS right now. Well, I mean, if, if people want to get more uh, more prop stuff, obviously we have a, a, a Chiefs prop shop in the, in the RG Discord, but uh, but you're, you're, still doing, you're still doing that for, uh, for NBA if you want to get your projections 
at uh, paydirtdfs.com, right? Yep, paydirtdfs.com. Um, it is $30 a month, and you get access to every single sport, including League of Legends, DFS, which I keep getting Jordan to play. Um, but I have prop betting tools for NBA and NHL as well, so you can go and hit all the props that you want to take. It shows you the EV on each one. It shows you what the, the difference on each player, so... Um, I've been using it and it's been really successful for me. And I know it's been successful for people in the discord as well. So, and you could always get our 15 hour audio DFS masterclass, the theory of daily fantasy sports. How do you think like a professional DFS player? It's daily fantasy game theory that applies to any sport. Doesn't matter what you play. It's a whole bunch of chapters, game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploits, and psychology. All the chapters in here to help you become a profitable DFS player. So you can follow uh, James at paydirt underscore DFS me at blender HD. We're back to a regular schedule full time, you know, Monday through Friday. So uh, I I will be back tomorrow uh, going, going over. I don't know who's playing in the NBA anymore. So I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to open up the projections tomorrow for NBA and go, Let's see if I remember who any of these players are or like the people that are they're signing off the street or something. So we're going to we're going to have some fun trying to figure out what the hell's going on in NBA, not playing for over two months. Uh, so but it'll be a journey and I'll answer your DFS strategy questions as I'll always do at 11 o'clock in the morning, Monday through Friday on the DFS free game show on rotogrinders.com. <laughs>